grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How much would you like to be all alone, whether it's right now or just in general? I'm guessing you probably wouldn't mind having some time to yourself if you are coming from a very large family, if you're living in some cramped living quarters, or you have just been very, very busy. You love some time alone so you can have time just to, just to relax, just to breathe, and to be only responsible for one person, which is yourself. But if you're like most people, you don't want to stay alone for long term. Maybe it's just because life isn't as much fun if you're by yourself without someone to care for or to share memories with. Maybe you know yourself and why it's not good for you to be alone for too long because you can fixate on problems that should not be such a big issue. Or maybe because you know how you can spiral into ways of thinking that bring you down and down even into doubts of things you never once questioned before. This moment of loneliness and of loneship is where we find John the Baptist this morning as he's languishing in prison as King Herod's political prisoner. He was thrown in the prison for speaking out against his unlawful marriage with Herodias, and he had been there for some time without any idea of what was to come ahead of him. And you can imagine how squalid the living conditions were for him. As he was, for the most part, alone, he began to spiral into doubts, doubtings, doubts that he never had before, wondering if his entire life's work had been for any point, if Jesus himself was the promised Messiah. And so John turns to Jesus for the questions. And Jesus answers him, by telling him to doubt no more about who he is because Jesus surely is the promised Messiah, the one who was promised to come from long ago. And because of who he surely is, have no doubt in your mind who you are. as a child of God in the kingdom of heaven. When we speak about the coming one, we're referring to what is perhaps more common to us as the promised Messiah. God's people have been waiting for him to come since the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And along the, long, since then, along the way, God has given a bunch of expectations in the Old Testament about who the promised Messiah would be and what he would do. At the time you get to John the Baptist, well, it's safe to say that many people were looking forward to meeting him, even if they had some mismatched expectations of what the Messiah was going to be doing. John the Baptist was one of those many people who was looking forward to the coming one. And he was also blessed to be a prophet, to share with the people portions of what the Messiah was supposed to be doing, as John said, to take people's sins away as the Lamb of God and to bring that acts of judgment against the roots of people when he judges the living and the dead on the basis of their faith in the Messiah. Yet John has not been able to share that message with many people for some months now as he's in prison. And while he's been languishing away for the most part alone, Jesus has begun his ministry out among the people, healing the sick, raising the dead, and teaching them what it means to follow Christ. 
Yet John was having some doubts about Jesus. Because what Jesus was doing was not matching his expectations of the Messiah. We remember what John said the Messiah was going to be doing, which was to save people and to deliver eternal judgment. And what is it that Jesus is doing up to this point? Healing, raising, and teaching. Wonderful things, but not what John was expecting from the Messiah. Was Jesus truly the coming one that they had been waiting for? John also expected the Messiah to get to action sooner than later. And yet, what does it appear that Jesus is doing? He's taking his sweet time, hanging up mostly in Galilee in the northern part of Israel at this time here. Did John prepare the way for the wrong person? Let's not forget where John was at this time in the squalid conditions as a political prisoner without a thought of, without, without a, a, a hope of where he was going to be going in the near future. As he spiraled downward in those doubts, he began to doubt more and more, what if I had it all wrong? Now, John was not the first such believer to have doubts like this. You think of other role model believers who too had their moments of intense doubt and the very one they trusted him. Believers like David, Elijah, Job, and even Peter himself, just to name a few. And perhaps you can even list yourself with that. How many times have you doubted if Jesus is what he's all cracked up to be, if he is the Messiah himself because of your mismatched expectations? Maybe it's what you think Jesus is supposed to do. How often have you viewed Jesus as a broken vending machine who just dispenses whatever you wish him to give so that you can use it however you want? Do you take offense at Jesus for not just simply telling you how you are saved, but also how you are to live for him? Maybe you doubt Jesus because his patience just seems entirely too long. Think of the promises that God the Son has given to you of what he will surely do for you. When you've been impatient for the Lord to act for you, have you also doubted him? If he's able to do or if he cares enough about you to do what he said he was going to do at some time in some place? Or maybe it's your own current circumstances that have you wondering the same thing too. Why, with our current triple-demic that's been going on for weeks and probably will for another few more weeks, with the rising cost of inflation making it difficult just to survive, let alone buy presents for everybody that we love, and then you get all the, the drama that comes on at this time of year, why, if Jesus has truly come, well, then why does life feel like he hasn't come? Broken, troubled, hurt. When we doubt that Jesus is the coming one. When he doesn't match our expectations, remember who set the expectations in the first place. You see, it's not us who gets to determine who is the Messiah and who is not, but it's God who set it long ago, who will be the one to come just as he promised. When John had those doubts, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, if he truly was the coming one. And Jesus, he knew how to answer 
by reminding them of those Old Testament expectations of what the Messiah was going to do and how he, Jesus, was fulfilling them. We heard about those miracle healings from our first lesson of Isaiah chapter 35 that the Messiah would do. About raising people from the dead, there's not an explicit uh, prophecy about that, but Jesus adds it on to further show that he is the Messiah, that this is God himself coming, doing things that only God can do. About the poor being being preached to with the gospel. We see Jesus there fulfilling Isaiah chapter 61, where he shares the good news with those who are often left out or overlooked from such wonderful news as this. And remember those two things that John the Baptist was specifically looking for? about saving people and and judging people? Well, Jesus would also go on to fulfill those too. As he would die on the cross after John the Baptist was no more. And he, he will one day come back a second and final time to judge all not guilty for their faith in Christ. You see, it's by Jesus listing these Old Testament expectations and how he was fulfilling them, and as we know from now, how he was going to fulfill them all, that Jesus was telling John this. Doubt no more who I am. I am the coming one, just as you earlier said and strongly believed. And that's what Jesus says to us as he blesses we who do not take offense at him to be the coming one. You see, there is no doubt in our mind as to who Jesus is. He's he's the promised one. As such, there is no doubt in our mind who to place our hopes in, for it is Jesus and Jesus alone. For who else has fulfilled every expectation given out by God to fulfill those prophecies, to save us from our sins, to teach us how to live for him as his children, to judge us not guilty because of our faith in him and what he did for us on that cross? He and he alone is the one to deserve this title. And he and he alone deserves our honor and our praise. It's because of that that he says to you, doubt no more who I am. I am your promised Messiah, the one who came for you. And as he tells us who he is, Jesus, as a result, tells us who we are. When John's disciples got the answer to bring back to John the Baptist, it became clear that the nearby crowds around had learned about John's doubts about who Jesus truly was. And very likewise, they were doubting the same thing too. After all, if John was in doubt, what about them who listened to John? So Jesus addresses the crowds to defend John's honor and to clarify to them who he is. And he does so by asking them, Who did you go out to see when you went to see John the Baptist? Did you go out to see a flip-flop believers whose convictions are as shaky as a reed swaying in the the wind? No, of course not. Did you go out to see a domineering figure who compelled you to listen against your will as those dressed in soft clothing and coming from king's houses can do? Neither. Rather, they went out to see a prophet a prophet who spoke God's word to the people around him. But you see, John was more than just your ordinary prophet who just shared God's word. Why? He was the prophet of the prophets, the prophets whom the other prophesied about. And he was the greatest that had been born up to this time. 
not because of what he did necessarily, but because of his connection to Christ. You see, John, he saw the one that all those other prophets had looked forward to. And he not only saw him, he prepared the way before him when Jesus began his early ministry. Yet, as great as John the Baptist is, those who are in the kingdom of heaven, even the least, why they are greater than even John is. There's some honest discussion on who exactly is included in that kingdom of heaven. I, I won't go into details into all the different reasons and how I came to my understanding, but for me, I confidently say that it is Christians since the time of Jesus' resurrection. That includes you and me who have been around for almost 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead now. And it is we who are greater than John the Baptist, not because of what we have done, but because of our connection to Christ. Because we not only have faith in Jesus as our Savior, as the promised one, but we have the knowledge of what he did to earn that title. His perfect life, his death on the cross, rising from the grave, ascending to heaven, all of these things that we know that we have learned in the pages of Scripture, John did not get to see because he passed away too soon. And all those other prophets, they knew even less than what John did. But yet we have both faith and knowledge in these wonderful truths. And for that, we're greater even than John. But is that how you view yourself? Or do you doubt if you even have a place in that kingdom of heaven? You know yourself and how you are as a believer. Are you like a reed that's shaken by the wind? Whose convictions are as solid until somebody pushes you? Or ask you about it? Maybe you see how shaky you are when, those, when peer pressure comes upon you and you act and you think in ways that you never would on a Sunday morning. And you know you probably will again when that pressure comes back. Or perhaps you see and you wonder, how can I be in the kingdom of heaven when what I try to do when I invite my unchurched friends and family and they just politely ignore me? Obviously, I failed to bring them to Christ. Why, if only I had a domineering spirit that could force them to listen, like a person coming from a king's house dressed in the soft clothing of royalty, then they would listen to me, and then I would be great. But we know how sinful that thinking is. Or maybe you remember the time when somebody asked you, what does the Bible say about, or what does God think about and what you said was not God's word, but your word. Accidentally, because you simply didn't know your Bible well enough. How can you be called a Christian if you can't even speak for God? Many times we are our own worst critic and we tear ourselves down and we can doubt, how can this be true? But how is it that we're greater than John the Baptist? As God says, we New Testament Christians are in such a privileged place, not because of what we have done, because of our connection to Christ. We have both faith and knowledge of what he did for you and for me. To die on the cross, to fulfill his promises, to save us from our sins. And through that we know that even though I have sinned, well, I am good, I am holy in God's sight. It depends on him and not on me. As such, we call Jesus 
not the coming one, but the one who already came, who came for you and who came for me. And because of who Jesus is without a doubt in our hearts, we therefore know who we are as a result of our citizens in the kingdom of heaven, considered by God to be greater than even John the Baptist. Blessed to have both faith and knowledge in who our Savior is and what he has done for us. We're sustained by the forgiveness he won for us on that cross to lift us up when we fall into doubt and to be true even when we doubt the truth ourselves. We're emboldened to share the good news of our Savior with our friends, with our family, in our personal mission field, just as John the Baptist did before he fell into doubts and very likely when he was strengthened in faith when the disciples came back to him with this answer from Jesus. It's this knowledge of who we are that remains the case even when we go back out in the world. When the peer pressure comes to shake your faith in Christ, stand on the solid rock of your Savior. Let your light shine and endure the crosses that you may have to bear because of it. When you view yourself as a failure because your friends and family just politely ignore you, don't compel them to listen. Rather, be patient and pray that they one day listen with open ears to the news that they so desperately need to know and that you so desperately want them to know. When you misrepresent God as his messenger, confess, repent, and then learn from your mistakes as you study up on God's word to better answer that question the next time it comes at you so you can be but a humble messenger for your Lord and all that he has done and said for you and for everybody else. Because this is who we are, because of who Jesus is. It's not good for a person to remain for too long, because many times it does not spell good for them as they spiral downward into doubt and the wandering things that they never once wondered before. And that's where we find John the Baptist in this low moment of his faith while languishing in prison. Whereas before he brought boldly and proudly proclaimed Jesus to be the promised Messiah himself, he was now doubting that was even true. So he went to Jesus for answers, and Jesus told him the truth. Doubt no more who he is. He is the one who came for you and for me. The one alone who is the promised Messiah who fulfilled every expectation God laid out. And what a joy that is. Because of who he is, you therefore know who you are without a doubt in your mind, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, blessed by him in such a great and wondrous way, replete with all the blessings that he gives to you, an opportunity to live as his child through all the rigors and roles that life is going to throw at you. As we prepare to welcome Jesus as for who he is, as the promised Messiah, I pray that we may do so without a single doubt in our hearts and our minds as to who he is and to who you are. Amen.